Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. This is Unnecessary Roughness. Roughness. You gotta score points to win. You can't win without scoring points. Touchdown Raiders! He went right through the line and gives Vegas a touchdown to extend the lead. Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Here's your boy Q. As we kick off hour number two of the show, Unnecessary Roughness, we're in Indianapolis. My man Damon is in the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. I'm here at the Airbnb in Indianapolis. Tomorrow we'll be at the Convention Center right there on Radio Row. There's about 50 radio stations or media outlets that will be there as well. So it'll be a, a minor like Super Bowl Radio Row experience, but it will all be combine related. We'll hear from head coach Josh McDaniels early tomorrow morning. You'll hear that on the morning tailgate and throughout the course of the day here on Radio Nation Radio 920. All of that is being brought to you by Boyd Gaming, the official locals casino of the Las Vegas Raiders. We definitely appreciate them for their efforts to get us here so we can cover the silver and black like we're doing. And we talked to Vic Tafer in the first hour of the show and he mentioned that this is the first time in almost a decade that the Raiders needed a quarterback. And so obviously the quarterback is going to be a big topic here in Indianapolis, and they actually throw on Saturday, and I'll already be on my way back, so I won't see them actually throw, but all the coverage that you need we'll have for you here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Very excited about the opportunity, and of course there's a lot of business that goes on as well here at the Combine after hours. There'll be, there's a lot of walking areas, which is a good thing. As I look outside and it's rainy, it's not really cold, but it's just super rainy. Like, it's, it's so pouring. And when I got in here last night to the Airbnb, I pulled up, and the parking lot's very small. It's funny. There's a very small parking lot here, uh, and you're, you're allowed to park there, but if there's no spots, then you're just kind of SOL, right? You're kind of blank out of luck. But there's a parking lot that's huge right next to it that it says in big letters, do not park there or you will get towed. So I'm, I'm that guy at 3 in the morning like, well, what should I do? <laughs> So I didn't I didn't park there of course but it's funny in this parking lot uh there there were no parking spots available but there was a curb spot that was available and there was a Mercedes parked on the curb so I said well hell if the Mercedes parked there I'll just pull up behind it and park there at the same time and it kind of makes it difficult for cars to back out I mean you have to be a, a driver that's worth the salt to be able to get out I mean you have to at least have somewhat of an idea of what you're doing and so I just parked there. I said, you know what? This car is here. I'll be there. It didn't look like I was really blocking anyone in. It didn't look like there was any oversized vehicles. So I thought, I'll just be okay. Not a big deal. So, again, this is all is like 3.30 in the morning. So I'm, I'm bringing in my bags and everything, and it's pouring down rain. And it's fine, whatever. I get in here, uh, get settled. I look out my window, and I realize that, oh, I can see the parking lot. I can see the car, the rental car. I can see it from my room. That's great. So... And the other thing is that my damn window was open, even though I didn't realize my window was open, but it was. So uh, I, I go to sleep, and you know, it's, Damon, it's one of those sleeps where you lay down, but you're never really, like, asleep, sleep. Like, I don't know, and a lot of times it happens to me when I'm either thinking about something real heavy, I'm nervous about something, or I don't trust something. I kind of get up and look out the window a lot. So I lay down at, like, 3.30 at 4 o'clock. All of a sudden, I jump back up, and I'm looking out the window. 4.30, I jump back. Like, every 30 minutes, I'm jumping up, so I'm not really getting any kind of sleep. I look out the window around 6 this morning, and there was a car backing out. And it was actually struggling to back out because of the two cars, mine and the Mercedes, that was, that was you know, on the curb. So I was like, is this car going to hit this car? You know, I was really kind of nervous. I'm like, no, man, it's not going to happen. So they didn't. To their credit, they didn't hit the car. And so I thought right then at 6 in the morning, I was like, man, I should probably just go down and move the car and put it in that parking spot that that car just left. So I did. I jumped on it immediately, just jumped up, boom, went down there parked. I was good. 
dog, no BS. About an hour later, a big old like semi came through the parking lot and it literally parked right where me and that Mercedes were. And it was no doubt. There was no way that they would have got in there. If I had been parked there and that Mercedes was already gone as well. But I heard this big truck pull in and I look and I, I see it in the parking lot. I was like, Oh Lord Jesus, thank God my car is not there anymore. Cause that would have been a done deal. So as these guys are doing the delivery and as you could tell, I still didn't get any sleep because I'm still kind of jumping up every few minutes or whatever, looking out the window. Um, as they're doing a delivery, they're done. They're trying to drive out. And I was like, how are they going to get out of this parking lot? It's way too small. So you know those little those little bikes that you can rent that they have in, like, cities? They have them. I don't know if they have them in Vegas where you can rent a bike and whatever and just ride down the block. I know they have a lot in, like, Austin, Texas and all over the – anyway, they have a bunch here. So, yeah, this truck left the parking lot, and it definitely hit a couple of those bikes on the way out. So those bikes were done deals. I was like, oh, my goodness. And then there's a construction site across the street. So it was less than ideal. But I was so thankful that I had moved that damn rental car because, man, if I hadn't, well, it probably would have been done deal records for me. So anyway, long story short, we're safe. We're good to go. Now that I have a parking spot, I'll probably Uber to the convention center so I don't lose my parking spot, right? I mean, you got to be strategic about these things, Damon. you got to be strategic. So uh, I'll probably do a lot of that in between now and the rest of the week. But with that being said, let's go out to the phone lines. Let's talk to Raider Nation, man. 702-365-9200. My man Fargo Raider, he's been in a in a situation before a time or two. What's up, Fargo? Uh, yes, sir. <clears throat> Sorry, trying to clear my throat. I just saw a Niner fan on the street. I am in North Dakota, home of Trey Lance. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah i've been there man last time i was actually in cali uh i parked my car went in my hotel room got up to get ready to go see my boys and then smash out to vegas to see the game and i come out to this big old uh, i don't know if you know your tools but milwaukee tools like they make these these toboggans these these masks these face masks and they come on this piece of cardboard yeah. There was one of those on my on my windshield with a phone number, and they said, "Sorry, dog, I hit your car with my work truck." I was like, "Damn, this is the second time somebody sideswipes a rental of mine." Enterprise oh, no. hates me by now. <laughs> Dang. But so I understand, I get you, and I was gonna say, "Thank you. Uh, it's good to have you up here in in uh, in my weather." But if it's raining, it still ain't the same. It's sunny out here. It's, it's in the thirties, but right. You know, it's a little bit cooler than that, than than out west. Now I'll get to it. So I, I was here. I, I listen to your pod every morning. You know, first listen, gotta catch it. And I and you guys were talking about the Ramsey situation. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm co- I'm cool getting a Ramsey. The problem here is though, not only the the amount of money we gotta pay him, but the the trade we would have to make. So now we're looking at potentially three or four guys that we'd be foregoing to get a Ramsey. And I don't know if he's a big enough impact to clear that kind of depth, you know, because yeah. not only, and I said this in the morning, tell me, not only do we need skilled players, but we need depth with skill. That when guys started to go down deeper in the year, like they always do, we were, we were it's looking kind of, kind of sketchy for us and i don't like that i'd like for us to start to build like teams do that win now i love Demond's point that he was making of course you're gonna look like a genius when you're in the division like the past or maybe like an nfc north you're gonna look like like the champs champ when you're playing a bunch of scrubs you know (laughs) sorry guys but the honesty is that minnesota is is a mirror image 
But instead of silver and black, they're purple and gold. But it's the same damn thing as the Raiders. We can't stay out our own way, and neither can they. So how are you going to sit here and tell me, you know, that these divisions can put them up with us? Like the mom said, this is an arms race. I think we need those picks, and we need to go and, and bolster that defense on all fronts and, and with some good quality depth. Now, uh, getting to your, to your question of the day, my question to the regime would be, if you're, uh, being that you were touted as an offensive coach, a very good offensive coach, and we have had one of the worst red zone efficiency scores in all the NFL for years and years and years now, and it did not get fixed this year. What are you going to do to make sure that next season we see that fixed, especially since you let go of a franchise quarterback, didn't franchise tag or didn't extend or franchise running back, how are you going to make that happen now with your, with, with your future basically in the air? Thank you for taking my call, and you have a great day. Thank you so much for the call. I do appreciate you, my man. And, yeah, I mean, that's that's what it's all about, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it's about getting that thing built and, and how are they going to build it and what's their what's their vision, what's their plan. I mean, that's something that we talk about here on the show all the time, what the plan is. And there's so many different directions that you could come up with a plan based off of what is around the team right now, but what is their plan? What is their, I mean, I know what my idea is, and uh, you bring up a great point with Jalen Ramsey. I said that on the podcast. I would love for the Raiders to go make a move for Jalen Ramsey, but if they're not in a – Go win it right now, you know, or, or this team is going to be good enough to compete for the AFC West title right now, then wasting the money in the draft capital doesn't make any sense, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's the whole thing when it comes to any of these trades that are potential, or even like a guy like Jerron Payne. Remember how many times I've said that I'd love to see the Raiders go out and get Jerron Payne? Well, this draft class is pretty deep at the defensive tackle position. If you don't believe that, that you're in a, a position where you can go get a Deron Payne right now to be a difference maker and have to give up the kind of money, because it's going to cost a lot of money, and they're probably going to franchise them. It's like 99.9% sure they're going to franchise them. That's like, nine, that's like $20 million right there. Then I would pass on that too. You know, I mean, the, and that's why I brought up last week, and some people got offended when I said, well, if they're not in a win, win kind of now mode, does it make sense to spend the money on Josh Jacobs? There's so many yeah buts or what ifs or you know that you could throw in there. That's why it's such a difficult conversation until we start to know the the order or the order operations what this team plans on doing. You know, we may not know, but thank you so much for that call. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back and hear from Daniel Jeremiah. We'll try to reset this real quick. Thanks for the call, Fargo. I appreciate you. Got a couple sound bites from Daniel Jeremiah that we'll get into next. And then we got Chrissy Freud. She'll talk all things quarterbacks in the upcoming draft, including Clayton Toon, the young man out of Houston. This is Randish Radio 920. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. Coming up at 3.30, Chrissy Freud covers the NFL Draft, talks a lot of quarterbacks for SI.com, does a fantastic job. She'll join us to talk about Clayton Toon of Houston and others as well. But I do want to dip into some conversations from Daniel Jeremiah, at least some of his thoughts from players that are going to be in this uh, this draft, guys that are going to be here in Indy competing all week long here at the Combine. And we got into some of it on Friday, but a lot of it was just quarterback related. So I do want to get into and touch on some other guys. But before we do that, and I know we only have a limited amount of time since uh, we have Chrissy coming up in about, I don't know, 10 to 13 minutes. Uh, do want to just jump right into trading 
up for a quarterback with Chicago who has number one spot. And the reason why I want to play this, and I know we played it on Friday, I want to play it because the report came out from Adam Schefter today that Chicago has been receiving calls about that number one spot and that they're basically open for business. I think a lot of groundwork is going to be laid this week for Chicago to get out of that number one spot and trade back and get them a pretty massive haul. I'm not saying that the Raiders are going to trade up from 7-1, to one, but there are multiple teams, including the Raiders, that could be interested in trading up. So I look at the Carolina Panthers that are at 9. I look at the Raiders that are sitting there at 7. Hell, the Houston Texans that are sitting there at 2 might try to trade up. The Colts at 4 could try to trade up. There's a bunch of handful of teams that could try to trade up to that number one spot. Here's Daniel Jeremiah on what it would take. Trade-ups for quarterbacks, usually when you look at the trade chart, it's about 120%, give or take, in terms of the trade chart value. You have to pay a premium if you're going to come up for a quarterback, which is you know, great news there for the Bears. So when you kind of you look at some of those previous trades, um, which, by the way, when you look at the names of the quarterbacks that teams have traded up for since 2011, it's Trey Lance, Sam Darnold, Mitchell Trubisky, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, and RG3. So, you know, in other words, don't be so concerned if you're the Bears about trading off of a Hall of Famer and moving back. It hasn't been a great list uh, over the last few years. But when you look at those points, here would be the three trades. If we're going to look at those teams as to the Texans, for the Colts, and nine the Panthers, here would be how that would shake out on the trade chart. So if you're just going to go back uh, to pick number two, you're going to get the uh, – uh, the second pick, the 33rd pick in next year's two, that would be the trade you'd have there uh, with the uh, Texans. If you go to four, you would have, uh, you'd have to give up the, a fourth round pick this year, or, in, or sorry, a fourth round pick in 2024, as well as your the number one overall pick, you would get number four overall, number 35 overall, and a first round pick in 24 and a second round pick in 24. And then if you want to go all the way to nine, you're going to get the ninth pick, you're going to get the number 39 pick, and you're going to get a first round in 24, and you're going to get a first round in 25. So when I look at all those halls, and I understand you could be trading off of the opportunity to get one of the premier defensive players there at two or four. If you're asking me what I would do, I would be hoping the Carolina Panthers want to pay that price. And I'll go to nine, and I'll take all those first-round picks, and uh, and let's go try and fill some of these needs. So those are the three teams I think that will be in the mix, and those are the three options. So one, four. I mean, you heard what he said about trading to the number four spot, number two spot, and then the number nine spot. Nine is extreme, right? The Raiders are at seven. So it wouldn't be quite everything that, that Carolina would have to give up at number nine, but it would be pretty stinking close. And, I mean, he's talking about the first-round pick this year, obviously, which is, you know, number seven, talking about a first-round pick in 2024, and talking about a first-round pick in 2025. Is there a guy that you see, DeMond, I'll start with you, is there a guy that you see in this draft that's worth giving up that draft capital to go get? No, I don't think so. And also, he scared me off a little bit as well by mentioning the team, the names of the quarterbacks right. that teams have traded up to get since 2011. And none of those teams are now, now now looking back like, hey, man, we showed the NFL that we're smarter than everybody else. So when you look at the names involved, and I know like the number one pick, hey, it could be Bryce Young. But right. that's why I said, hey, if you believe, I don't know how they have them ranked on their big board, but if you think that, hey, let's say these quarterbacks are close to equal, just take whoever falls to you at number seven. Because I do think that someone is going to be available at seven. Or it could be, hey, trade back, trade back, and wait for Hendon Hooker. But right. when it comes to trading up, I know that you said earlier, hey, man, if you think that Bryce Young is the guy, go get him. But at what cost? That's, that's why it's scared. Right. It's scared. Yeah, that's why I'm scared off of it. 
Right, and again, I think you bring up a good point when he listed off all the players that they traded up to go get, and none of them, you know, RG3, he's not even in the league. Carson Wentz just got released. Jared Goff is on another team, right? Sam Darnold, he, he ain't worth the salt, right? Who else did he mention? I mean, everyone that he mentioned, none of them. Trey Lance, we, haven't, we don't even know if he can play. Nobody knows who the hell Trey Lance is, you know? So, I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, none of those guys are screaming like, hey, that was a great move by those teams. Everyone who did that, I would say that all those are fails. Right? I mean, I look, RG3 in Washington, what, he had one good year, his rookie year? I mean, the dude's better on ESPN now than he has, ever has been in the league, <laughs> and I'm an RG3 guy. That's my buddy. But, I mean, I could be honest about the situation. So, yeah, I think you bring up a good point about how you scared off by the players that were drafted. Let's skip down to number 11, DeMond, and let's talk about a few Patriot-type guys in the draft. And the reason I think this is important is, well, what I bring up all the time, we still don't know what Dave Ziegler, what Josh McDaniels, what they're looking for. Champ Kelly, who are they looking for? But I like to get a little sense of what has been going on in the past. And I know that Dave Ziegler was not pulling the trigger on Patriot guys when he was in New England, but you still kind of pick up your tendencies from your surroundings. It's similar to me, and, and DeMond, you got a firsthand approach and, and understanding of it when we were in Phoenix and you, you met David Smoke. Like, there's a lot of things I do that are very, like, very much like David Smoke because that's what I know, right? Those are my surroundings. That's, that's who, who showed me this business. And so I picked up a lot of his tendencies, and you saw that firsthand. So not saying that everything I try to do is just like him, but sometimes you just can't help yourself because you're just a product of who's around you. So here's Daniel Jeremiah talking about a few Patriot-type guys that he sees in this upcoming draft. Patriot-type players. Uh, well, I mean, Peter Skaronsky, I'll just kind of go down through the list here. Uh, Witherspoon from Illinois because they value, you know, ball skills and instincts and awareness so much in the secondary. He he definitely fits uh, in that regard. Um, I, I would give you Keon White as one because of the versatility up front. He's six, almost 6'5", 280 pounds, and he could be an edge setter. Uh, which they've always valued the, the physicality to set the edge in the run game. Um, you know, trying to find body types like Willie McGinnis going all the way back. It's hard to find guys that are that big and that strong that can still move. Um, so he would be one I would say that kind of fit that profile. A, a real smart player as well. Um, let me give you another one here. Van S from from Iowa. Obviously, you have the connection there uh with Kirk Ferentz and Belichick so he's always going to be comfortable with with Iowa players and he's a big physical uh defensive lineman who can move uh inside outside so those are some guys i think that would be you know good overall fits and then if we want to go to the you know non power 5 offensive lineman uh that they uh, hit on last year with Cole Strange why not go back and go with uh with Alec there Cody from North Dakota State again versus a bunch of different positions Highly tough, highly intelligent, Patriot-type guy. So there you go. And I know nobody likes to hear the word or name Patriots here on Radio Nation Radio 920, but uh, there are similarities there. What do we hear from Dave Ziegler? Versatility, smart, intelligent players. That's what he's looking for. That's what Daniel Jeremiah just broke down, started talking about some offensive linemen, started talking about some defensive players. Just wanted to give you kind of an idea of some guys that he looked at and said, yeah, I can see those guys being Patriots. And we do this all the time as an exercise. I look at it and say, oh, I can see that's a Seattle Seahawk right there, like Tariq Woolen. That's definitely a Seattle Seahawk. I, I can see that all day long, right, and twice on Sunday. Guys, oh, that looks like a Baltimore Raven. I mean, that's there's just certain – teams that when you see a certain player or a certain certain traits you realize oh that's yep that's what that kind of that that's who that player is he's, he's definitely one of those for the Raiders I don't I haven't had an answer to what a Raider is in a long time I really haven't I don't know what a Raider looks like 
And it's it's kind of sad that we don't because I've been a lifelong Raider fan. Raider Nation has been lifelong Raider fans, right? I don't think any of us know what a Raider looks like because there's been so many so many changes, so many different different thoughts and, and ideals thrown into it. John Gruden had his idea of what a Raider looked like. Mike Mayock had his idea of what a Raider looked like. Reggie McKenzie had his idea of what a Raider looked like. I mean, it's just, you know, and now Dave Ziegler is going to have his opportunity to show in his, in his mind what a Raider should look like. Defensively, let's stick with the defensive side of things. Daniel Jeremiah, he, uh, he was comparing and contrasting the top edge rushers. You know Will Anderson is there from Alabama, but Tyree Wilson, boy, oh, boy, Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech, uh, the Red Raider, he's getting a lot of love as well. So here's DJ just talking about the top edge rushers in this upcoming draft. Yeah, for me, it would be Tyree Wilson, um, you know, by a pretty significant margin. Uh, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of buzz around him around the league. I think the the league has it with him and Anderson a lot closer than people might think. Um, he's He's got just freakish wingspan and, uh, and burst and uh, the ability to kind of use those long levers to get home. I think he's a really talented rusher. I think he's a big-time athlete. Unfortunately, don't think we're going to get to see him do anything at the combine coming off the injury that he's had, so probably have to wait till the pro day on that one. But for me, it would be him. Uh, Miles Murphy is a tricky one because it's all in there. He has it all in his body. He hasn't got it all figured out just yet. Um, but between his kind of his combination of length and explosiveness – um, yeah, I think there's there's more there. I think he's going to develop more as a rusher. I don't think he has a great plan at this point in time. And then Van Ness is, uh, you know, I'm going to end up moving him up in my next update of my top 50. I think I have him at 22 right now. Um, again, I it was curious when you're watching him because he doesn't start. And I know a lot of people are sitting there going, how in the world are you going to take a guy in the top 10? He didn't start at Iowa. Uh, but I had a chance to do my homework on that. And look, they that's just the way their program runs. They're going to run with the, the, uh, the older upperclassmen, the leaders that have been in those spots. They're just going to, they're going to roll those guys out there with starters, even though everybody knows this was their best guy. Um, but he's got big time, big time explosiveness and power, um, kind of a bull in a China shop. Again, somebody who's just figuring out, but when you watched him against the best tackles he played against, he got after him. So I, I think that is is closer to me. What I'm getting at is going to be Murphy and Van Ness is pretty close to me. I would have Tyree Wilson uh, ahead of those two guys. There you go. And then Will Anderson is, I think, probably the best edge rusher uh, in the draft. He's coming out of Alabama. He's the guy that's done the most. He's proven the most. and He's won the most, which matters. <laughs> Winning matters. Final soundbite I want you to hear from Daniel Jeremiah has to do with the corners in the draft, especially round one. And look, the draft is pretty deep with corners. That's something that excites me is there's about, you know, three rounds worth of good quality corners. But how do the guys in round one compare to the guy that I really liked a lot last year in Sauce Gardner? Yeah, the cornerback group, you know, as I mentioned, I think I got 20 guys with top three round grades. So I think it's a really good group. Now, I had a, a, a higher grade on Sauce Gardner than anybody in this draft class. I, you know, I was a big Sauce Gardner fan. So I, I don't put anybody in his class in this one. I don't think there's a Patrick Sertan in this class. Um, I, I would have probably the similar grade on Witherspoon, even though he's a totally different player. Um, I'd have a similar grade on Witherspoon to the uh, corner that went to uh, to Carolina. Now his name's going to escape me. What was his name? Oh, J.C. Horn. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, but yeah, I'd have a similar grade there. So I don't think there's the top end guys like that. I love Witherspoon. Um, but I wouldn't put him up there with, you know, with Gardner or Patrick Sertan. And then, you know, depth wise, I think there's I think there's a sweet spot and I think you can look at different positions and find sweet spots. And again, I think I would love to have third round picks 
and need corners, running backs, tight ends. I think there's, you know, there's just a really, really good group to choose from there. And I think this is, uh, you know, this is a good group of guys in, in that area. Safety wise, I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's a great group. I love the Penn State safety, but he's going to be probably towards the back end of my top 50, maybe 30s, early 40s, somewhere in there. Um, and then, uh, you know, I've got one, two, three, four, five. I've got about six safeties that I think are, you know, are, are going to be, I feel good about saying they're going to be starters at the next level. You know, so I, I think the safety group's a little bit light compared to the corners. Daniel Jeremiah talking about the corners, and he, in particular, we're talking about the first-round guys. None of them compare to Sauce Gardner. You're not going to get a Sauce Gardner every year. You're not going to get a Pat Sertan every year. You're just not. You know, J.C. Horn, he's a good player, but he's injured quite a bit. So I think he has a lot of potential. But, again, until he can stay out there on the field uh, consistently without getting banged up, then it's just potential that he has. So we'll see. But, uh, you know, if the Raiders need to go get corners, which we know that they do, at least it's a pretty deep draft for them to go and get that guy, maybe second round, third round, maybe even a little bit later, depending on how the board shapes up. Coming up next, how about the quarterback position? Chrissy Freud, NFL Draft for SI.com. She'll join us, and we'll start off talking all things Clayton Toon, the young man out of Houston. This is Radio Radio 920. It's Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. Got a text on our don'tbebroke.com text line that I thought was great. I was saying that I don't think any of us know what a, what a Raider looks like is anymore. We can't really identify a Raider anymore, right? Raider Dill said, what a Raider is isn't legal in the NFL anymore. <laughs> we need to find a new identity. Max is the mold of a type of player I'd like to see more of. That's Raider Dill. And I think you bring up a great point, man. So thank you so much for that text. I do appreciate you. Now, joining us on the phone lines from SI.com is Chrissy Freud. She covers the NFL draft. She talks to a lot of quarterbacks, does a fantastic job. And Chrissy, thanks so much for your time this afternoon. We do appreciate you. And Really wanted to do a deep dive into Houston's Clayton Toon. He's a guy that Raider fans have called in and said, Man, Q, you're not talking about Clayton Toon. You need to talk about Clayton Toon. And I know you've got to talk to him. You've got to do a deep dive into him. So let me start off with asking about the system he plays in. How much or played in, how much did that hurt him from getting national attention uh, across the landscape of college uh, football? Well, it's something that's existed year in and year out. I think people forget that uh, guys like Patrick Mahomes come from the air raid. And so mm-hmm. Houston runs more of the run-and-shoot style offense under Dana Holgerson, who was a disciple of Mike Leach, who was essentially the co-founder of the air raid offense. And so Houston does a lot of things similar to what Mike Leach was doing. And there's, a, there's just this stigma that exists that these quarterbacks, that they're playing an offense that's too simplistic, that they can't handle a longer play call, stuff like that. But really that's not true because this is such a quarterback-based offense. And I feel like at the end of the day when we think about how they don't go under center that much and things like that, we forget about the fact that um, just because this is a quarterback-friendly offense, the quarterback has to be able to play quarterback really well um, to exceed in it and to post those high numbers. I, as someone who has worked with a lot of air raid teams who have studied the air raid offense and was mentored by Mike Leach, I can tell you I've seen – uh, several quarterbacks who are not good at throwing the ball come through that offense, and they don't post numbers like that. So I think when it comes to him that people don't realize that kind of element of what the quarterback is asked to do and just how dependent it is on them because, I mean, they become a coach on the field pretty much by their final year. And then also um, when Clayton and I were talking, he told me about some of the huddle calls they have, some of the longer play calls. So I think that 
I just, in addition to the fact that there were air raid and run and shoot concepts all littered throughout the NFL that people also forget about. Um, on top of that, he has had experience with those things that this is not like a pure um, air raid system. Do you think with the success of, as you mentioned, Patrick Mahomes now a two-time Super Bowl champion and Kyler Murray going number one and even Baker Mayfield going number one, they came out of Oklahoma, Jalen Hurts and his success out of Oklahoma, do you think that more teams will start to kind of open their eyes to these wide-open concepts? We're even seeing those concepts in the SEC. Yeah, well, I, I would think so. And, I mean, it's, it's been this way forever. I mean, like I said, there's air raid stuff all throughout the next level of the NFL and all those quarterbacks that you just mentioned have – air raid ties and Caleb Williams. I mean, Lincoln Riley does things a little bit uh, differently. He's not exactly a purist when it comes to air raid, but that's another Mike Leach disciple, and he's probably going to be um, a number one overall pick next year. So I think that really this narrative has been dispelled for years and years and years. It's just that people forget about some of these big names that actually come from it, and they just don't associate the two. So I think that's kind of what's going on. Yeah, no, I, I feel the same exact way. I used to cover Baylor when I was in Central Texas, and, you know, a lot of guys came out of that Art Bryle system, and, well, they didn't, weren't that successful on the next level, but just being there at Baylor, a lot of people said, yeah, but, yeah, but that system doesn't work in the NFL. And like you mentioned, there's a lot of that stuff in the NFL. Those concepts are now in the NFL. Again, we're talking with Chrissy Freud. SI.com does a fantastic job covering the NFL draft and a lot more on Twitter at Chrissy underscore Freud. My man demond has got one for you. When it comes to Clayton, how good of an athlete is he? Because obviously in that offense, he put up some big numbers passing, but he also rushed for over 500 yards and averaged 4.3 yards a carry. So is that an anomaly, or is he a quarterback that, if it needs to be, he can run and get outside the pocket? Yeah, I think that he absolutely can use his legs. That's something that I saw um, the couple times that I went out and covered him in person, and I think that that's something that's helpful because, I mean, I'm not – I've never been super big on mobility being the first thing to look at when it comes to a quarterback. And really what we're shifting into is this era where I feel like pure pocket passer tendencies are being appreciated more because people kind of stop doing the whole Taysom Hill experiment just because it doesn't work um, half the time. But you still need a quarterback who can evade pressure. And I think that he has that and that he has the ability to get away and to make some plays with his legs. So, I would say it's somewhat rare to have quarterbacks that are like that, um, that that are actually a threat with their legs in this offense just because they're not really asked to. But I think that that's something that's uh, shown through and that we'll continue to do so probably even more at the NFL level because they're not leaning into the, the pure air waves to drop back and throw the ball out of the gun every single time uh, like these offenses are. And we know about all the quarterbacks that are projected to be the day one guys, you know, let's say the big four. But do you think that there's some starting quality quarterbacks that maybe you can pick up on day two or day three? Yeah, I absolutely do. And I think that Jay Kaner is one of those um, that really stands out. It was uh, really unfortunate for him that he had a major injury that kept him sidelined for a good part um, of this season. But I think that really whenever Jay Kaner is healthy, He's a really solid quarterback of pro potential. I think he's been looked over. Kind of same thing going on with Stetson Bennett for being too quote-unquote old, which I think is really, really dumb and doesn't have anything to do with it at the end of the day. Um, and then for being, he's about 5'10", so he's on the shorter side, so he doesn't have the physical tools that some of these other quarterbacks do. But he's a really solid decision-maker. And if you look back at Fresno State, um, not this past season, but the season before, um, there was a stretch of about five or six games where he was playing injured and they kept uh, having to try different cleats. It was pretty bad, so his numbers started to fall off 
around that time period, but before, um, he, his draft, draft stock really shot up because, I mean, he was having these 300-plus, sometimes even 400-plus yard uh, games in there and really is just really good when it comes to ball placement, really mature player, just offers a lot from an intangible perspective and can certainly take care of the football. I think there's a lot of people that kind of look at him as kind of maybe Brock Purdy-esque. Um, I think that he does kind of fit that description, but I think that he's absolutely a quarterback who boosted his draft stock big time at the Senior Bowl and deserves to probably go mid-round. Yeah, man, Jake Hayner, he's someone that we've talked about a lot, I feel like, getting prepared for this year's draft, and I'm a UNLV guy, so when he came to Vegas, I thought he was the best quarterback in the Mountain West, hands down. But one of the problems or criticisms that I've heard about Jake Hayner is the arm strength. Do you think that his arm will be able to translate to the next level? Yeah, I think that that's uh, Grayson McCall has the same kind of narrative surrounding him, but I think that... Um, he looked good on the deep ball when he was at the Senior Bowl, and I've seen him uh, take some really good deep shots down the sideline into some really tight windows at Fresno State. So um, I don't think he has a howitzer for an arm, but I think people also forget that that's not something that's necessarily needed. There are several quarterbacks who don't fit that um, description who have had success at the NFL level. And so I think that he has adequate arm strength. He doesn't have superb arm strength, but I think that it's adequate and that it's plenty enough for him to have success in the NFL. Talking right now with Chrissy Freud, talking all things quarterbacks that are going to be in the NFL draft here on Radio Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. Now, I'm here in Indianapolis. The Combine is going on this week. I'm excited about that. How big do you think this week is for Clayton Toon just to kind of get out in front of these teams and kind of let them know who he is as a quarterback and a person off the field? Yeah, I think that it's huge, um, especially for these players that come from smaller conferences. I mean, he was a G5 quarterback, and these guys always kind of have an additional hurdle to go over when it comes to exposure, when it comes to the whole level of comp- competition narrative, which I think is also false because, I mean, these players are playing with um, most of the time lesser supporting cast overall as compared to a Clemson or an LSU or something like that. So I think that it helps him a lot from the exposure perspective, and I think it also helps because he had some good moments at the Senior Bowl, but I thought that the Senior Bowl was just so dominated um, by Jake Hayner at quarterback, and so I think that he can kind of just continue to build and kind of right some of the wrongs that occurred there because I think that he had a couple a couple down days. I think he got better with time, but it's also the fact that, I mean, there was kind of this narrative going around that the um, wide receivers or, or the defensive backs were ruining the senior bowl because of the gap in talent between those two positions seems so apparent. Um, so I think it's going to be really interesting to watch high performance here. So when he gets the question of what is the NFL team getting in Clayton Toon, what do you believe his answer will be? I think that he's going to say that they're getting a very experienced quarterback, which he does bring a lot of experience to the table, um, who's an accurate passer and a good decision maker. I think that that's uh, what he prides himself on. And also from an intangible perspective, is just toughness. I mean, this is a quarterback. Um, he br- brought up to me that he's played through injury for the better part of his career, which is obviously something that's occurred. So I think that um, he's, a, he's somebody who would say that he's tough and that he comes in the clutch and he's had some really good comebacks in his career uh, while facing adversity and while playing injured. So I think, um, and he would probably say something along those lines, and I think that that's what they're going to get. Final question for you. As far as the quarterbacks go, just anyone that you may have talked to or anyone that you're kind of monitoring and just want to see how they do, is there is there a quarterback in this upcoming draft that you have on your radar that you're you're intrigued by? I think that Tyson uh, Bajan out of Shepard is kind of a wild mm. card. I think there's still a lot that we don't know about him, but I think that he's really a freak athlete with a uh, rich family history as far as playing sports and all of that goes. And I think that he has some ups and downs at the Senior Bowl, but I mean, to come from a school like Shepard, that's D3, that is that small. And then to make it to this point, I think, like I said, there's still a lot 
um, kind of unknown there and a, a, certainly a big transition to the NFL, but I'm really curious to see um, if he's one that pans out just because he has all the tools. You know, it's so funny. Uh, myself and uh, Freddie Coleman just had him on Freddie and Fitzsimmons the other day on ESPN <laughs> Radio. We just talked to him, and I didn't. I, I have to admit, I didn't know who he was, but his story is so intriguing. And, I mean, it's just like it, it feels like one of those guys you got to deep dive and do a little bit more uh, research on because he's really got a hell of a story. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I would say as far as quarterbacks that I've talked to, he's certainly one of the most pleasant uh, to work with. He has a really good personality. And I, one thing I noticed at the Senior Bowl is, I mean, he was – he spent the interview room probably longer than anyone else did and was willing to make time for anybody. So I think this comes across as a, a good person and obviously has done some good things on the field at Shepard and then projects as someone who's a really who's going to be a, a real leader and is going to get along really well with everyone in the locker room. And I think that that's something that uh, really stood out and became apparent to everyone who interacted with him at the Senior Bowl. Speaking of good stories, you mentioned earlier about your relationship with Mike Leach. What's your favorite Mike mm-hmm. Leach story that you can share with us? Mm-hmm. Um, well, there was this one time that he uh, almost flicked a bug off the table at me in a press conference by accident. It was all cut on video. It was pretty funny. Uh, but I would say as far as my relationship with Mike Leach goes, this was obviously my mentor. So, I mean, he would invite me into all the offensive staff meetings. And really, um, that's kind of where I learned my basis of quarterback evaluation. I really got to sit down and learn uh, the offense and all that. So, yeah, we had a really close relationship. And it's obviously upsetting that he's passed now. But it's I mean, he's played it huge role in my career and the way that I see things for sure. And, and I'm sure that you're not the only one who says that as well. You know that he played a major role oh, in a yeah. lot there's, of people. There's thousands of people out there. Right, exactly. Him and his love of pirates. So uh, there there you are. Chrissy Freud, fantastic stuff. What do you got working on that we should be on the lookout for? Um, Tulane practice sessions open to the media for spring football start off nice. tomorrow. So that's a team that I cover. So I'll be out there since I'm based in New Orleans now, so a lot of stuff on that, and then on Sports Illustrated, a lot more um, quarterback draft content interviews coming up for sure. There it is. Well, great stuff. Thank you for the breakdown of Clayton, too. It was fantastic. When I saw that you had uh, talked to him, I thought, man, I know this is going to be the perfect person for this. So uh, thank (laughs) you so much for joining us. We definitely appreciate you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. No doubt. There she goes. Good stuff right there. Uh, Chrissy Freud. You can find her on Twitter at Chrissy underscore Freud. That's Chrissy, C-R-I-S-S-Y underscore F-R-O-Y-D-S-I dot com. Talking all things NFL draft, quarterbacks, uh, two-lane football. Uh, fantastic stuff. Really good stuff. That will not be the last time we have her on the show. 3.46 is the time. We'll take a quick break. Come back. Close out hour number two. Just like that. It's Radio Nation Radio 920. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. Q. 3.48 is the time. Many thanks to Chrissy Freud. Drop some good stuff right there. Some nice little nuggets on Clayton Toon, the young man out of Houston. And I wanted to get a little background, a little more background on him because I haven't seen a lot of him. I knew who he was. I knew he played at Houston. But I've, we've had plenty of people hit us up and say, Q, you know, a guy that you're not, you're not talking about, you need to be talking about is Clayton Toon. And I also like the fact she brought up Jake Hayner. Right? I mean, there's plenty of people, DeMond, you know for a fact, have hit us up and said, Jake Hayner, Jake Hayner, Jake Hayner. And we are not above <laughs> going and doing some research on all these guys. This is what we do. We are not stuck in a bubble where it's like it has to be this, that, or that guy. Like, we talk about the big four. It could be the big 24 for all I care, right? I mean, we'll, we'll do the research on all the folks. That, that's the thing about it. Uh, it depends on what flavor Kool-Aid you prefer, right? Some like grapes, some like red, some like purple Saurus Rex. I mean, it just you never know. Uh, where you're going to find the one that you know is going to be the one that the Raiders are going to be intrigued by. And you know what? They might not find a guy this year that they're intrigued by. They might roll with, with Jarrett Stidham and 
bring in some veteran and and see what it do, right? We have no idea. But many thanks to Chrissy Freud. We do appreciate her time. Let's go out to the phone lines, though, 702-365-9200. Let's talk to our good friend John in Salt Lake City. Welcome to the show. What's on your mind, my man? Hey, thanks for taking my call. Yes, you sir. was talking about uh, defining what a Raider player mm-hmm. is like. I think it's kind of, you know, hard when you got a guy like Kyle Alzado and then Jim Plunkett. So I don't think it's really defined by a player. I think what's happened in the organization since I was a kid in the 70s is I remember when the expectations for this team was playoffs and Super Bowls. Mm -hmm. It seems like that culture has been lost now, and commitment to excellence is more just a slogan, and I'm not sure how much it's preached with these players. And this is why it was so big on getting somebody like Aaron Rodgers, because when you get these players that have won and take it personal, I think that's kind of where I, you know, I remember the Raiders is you got guys like Val P- Phil Valpiano still today. And you see the passion that they had about putting on the Raider uniform mm-hmm. and understand what the brand meant. And I'm just not sure a lot of today's players care about that as much, you know? That's, so yeah. I think until this organization starts winning and they start preaching winning and, and start Telling, making sure that losing doesn't become acceptable because it seems like it's become accepted now, and yeah. not only that, expected. I mean, a lot of times now as Raider fans, we go to these games and we watch these team blow leads, and you know what we look at and say, "Same old Raiders." Right. That's like what the say the slogan is now. And I think that needs to change, and you need to get players. That's why. Look, I hope they can find. It. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is in the free agent, but if that could somehow Devontae Adams can swing that. I think that could be big for the Raiders, but, you know, we'll see what happens. But I think the culture has to change. I love I think it. They need to get back, I need to get back to preaching that commitment to excellence and not just putting a sign up. Anyway. There, there you go. John in Salt Lake City, great call. Really good call. And, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing about it, man. I mean, that was the slogan, you know, that commitment to excellence. Just win, baby, right? I say it as I close out my podcast every single day. Just win, baby. But is it becoming just a saying? Has it just become a saying? Or is it, you know, something that they actually live by? That's that's a great thing, a great comment, and that really goes back to the culture. And you know, it's funny. Um, I remember who was it? I think it was Coach Herman, Tom Herman, when he took over at UT. And well, we all know how that ended up. It didn't end up very well for Coach Herman. But I remember at Big Twelve Media Days, he was talking about players and the kind of players he wanted to bring into the program. And he said he wanted players that would be more upset about losing the game, get more fired up and get more angry about losing the game than they get happy about winning the game. Players that get sick when it comes to losing, you know, not physically, but literally, like, to their stomach, they're, they're angry. Like, they got that burn in their belly. Guys that are more mad about losing than they are happy about winning. Those are the kind of guys that he wanted to bring into the program. Now, as I mentioned, that was Coach Herman, and things didn't work out very well for him. Uh, it sounded good, but it didn't work out on the field. But to John's point, that's what he's talking about. That's the kind of culture that you're looking for. And honestly, I don't know how to say this without making it sound like I'm trying to be offensive to someone. I'm like, I'm not trying to offend anyone. I'm not trying to, you know, put anybody down. I don't know how much that is really part of culture anymore, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like I don't like Max Crosby is a perfect example. He to me is a guy that hates losing more than he enjoys winning. Like he hates it. I mean, I, I, could, I could tell you that from being in the locker room and being around him. And even when he apologizes to Raider Nation because he knows that Raider Nation deserves better. Like, those, those guys like that. But there's not – I don't feel like that there's a whole lot of – and I don't want to just put a, 
you know, put everyone in the same box and say, oh, you guys don't care about winning or losing. That's not what I mean to say, but it kind of comes off like that. But I understand what John is saying, and, and it is. It's about, it's about being disgusted with losing, right? And, and I get it that it's a, it's a game. It's a job. Uh, you know, they're, they're going to go home to their families. Devontae Adams said it. Hey, you know, my family don't care about none of that when I get home. I get all that. But to have a few more of those cats in your locker room, that that just burns them. And, and, and look, everyone's not going to be cut like that. That's fine. You don't have to be. You know, I'm, I'm not asking to have 53 Max Crosbys that just, you know, are just nuts over over winning and losing. But to have a few more of those guys in the culture of your locker room, I think, goes a long way. To John's point, that was a really good call. I, I do definitely appreciate that. Uh, got a text from Geesmo. He said the word adequate was used a lot in that last segment in terms of quarterback assessment. That is not a word I would want as a description of the next Raiders franchise quarterback. That's uh, having to do with the Chrissy Freud interview that we just had. Talk about Clayton Toon. Uh, that's good. Uh, also uh, from Fargo Raider, he said Q and Demond. Fargo Raider here again. Max F and Crosby. That is all. Just win, baby. That has to do when it comes to what a Raider looks like and. Yeah, I mean, that's easy to say right now, right? It's easy to say that's what a Raider looks like right now because he's, he's that guy. He's him, right? Now what the kids say, he's him. He is him. But when the Raiders drafted him in the fourth round, what was it that Coach Gruden told him? Oh, you got to go see Deuce Gruden. You got to get bigger. And it's funny, the Raiders actually tweeted out a picture of Devontae Adams, Colton Miller, Hunter Renfro, and Max Crosby at the, the Combine, which we're at right now in Indianapolis at the Scouting Combine. <laughs> and Max looked so skinny and looked so young and so I understand what Coach Gruden was saying, but they didn't draft him because they thought that he was a Raider, right? They didn't draft him because, they, oh, he fits the body type. They, fit, they, they, they drafted him because, well, he had, a, he had an engine that, that didn't slow down, and they thought that he was going to keep working to get better. And he was going to take probably the first year. I think that's what Coach Gruden said, right? The whole first year, you're going to basically spend in the weight room with, with, uh, with Deuce Gruden. Instead, Max Crosby got onto the field his rookie year and damn near didn't come off. Ended up having 10 sacks his rookie year. So I, I, I think that now it's easy to say that that's what a Raider looks like. I'm interested to see what Dave Ziegler and company believes a Raider looks like, right? We know that versatility is something that they want. You saw that with Dylan Parham. You saw that with Thayer Munford. You know, so that, that's part of it. You know, that's something that they've preached a bunch of times. But in their image, you know, what is a typical Raider? And, and you're not going to know the answer to that until you see multiple drafts. Like I said, you can see multiple drafts when it comes to Baltimore. They've had the same people in place for the longest, right? Ozzie Newsom was there forever. And then when he wasn't, they moved on, but it was still the same guys. Seattle Seahawks, they've had the same guys with John Schneider there for a very long time. So you can identify those type of players. You know, Dallas Cowboys, I feel like they're always a, a big question mark. I don't think anyone ever knows what a Cowboy looks like because Jerry Jones dips his nose into it too much, right? If it had been up to Jerry, Johnny Manziel would have been a damn Cowboy. <laughs> but and the other organizations that have so much turnover, you really never know what the you know what these players look like and who they are as well. So I think the Raiders are in that position right now where nobody really knows can identify what a Raider is. And like like Raider Deal hit us up earlier, what a Raider is isn't illegal anymore. So that obviously cannot be <laughs> the prerequisite. Is that three fifty six at the time? We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll uh, get into what happened this weekend with the XFL. We know the Vegas Vipers lost, but Demond was on the call with Harry Ruiz, so we'll go through that. Plus, we have Coach Rod Woodson joining us to talk that XFL action coming up at four fifteen. This is Randish Radio nine twenty. Our coverage of the 2023 Scouting Combine in Indianapolis is brought to you by Boyd Gaming, the official locals casinos of the Las Vegas Raiders.